Welcome everyone uh, to our Ruth Bader Ginsburg Memorial. So today's Sunday morning program will be a memorial for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We'll be reading the Metta Sutta and if you have it available you can get your copy and have it handy. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was an advocate for women and a role model in advancing equality and fairness. Even when she was dissenting on Supreme Court decisions, she left clear and beautifully crafted dissenting opinions that expressed her highest ideals and planted seeds for a more enlightened future. We are all immeasurably in her debt. <clears throat> and we are all suffering for her loss. During the service, we will hear her words, followed by 108 bells. At the end, we will chant the four practice principles. Then afterwards, we'll ask you to unmute yourselves and we will host some breakout sessions so that you can connect and share with a few Sangha members. So there's a Zen koan that says, coming empty, handed, going empty-handed, that is human. When you are born, where do you come from? When you die, where do you go? Life is like a floating cloud which appears. Death is like a floating cloud which disappears. The floating cloud itself originally does not exist. Life and death coming and going are also like that. But there is one thing which always remains clear. It is pure and clear, not depending on life and death. Then what is the one pure and clear thing? <coughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we have gathered here this morning to mourn your death. As surely as we are born into this world, we leave it. It is the way with everything. Returning to the source of truth, you have finished this life. The great mystery we all face is no mystery to you now. You are already well on your way. You have gone before us, maybe by a few years, a few weeks, or a few days. You remind us that we are all uncertain about our own lives. <coughs> In the hope of benefiting your great spirit as you make this transition, we invoke your presence with a few moments of silence. So, I would like to share with you uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's own words about her life. And this is uh, one way we can honor her mind and her intentions. <clears throat> it's from her book, My Own Words, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Advice for Living. This was written in October 1st, 2016. Did you always want to be a judge, or more exorbitantly, a Supreme Court Justice? School children visiting me at the court, as they do at least weekly, ask that question more than any other. It is a sign of huge progress made. To today's youth, judgeship 
is at, as an aspiration for a girl is not at all outlandish. Contrast the ancient days, the fall of 1956, when I entered law school. Women accounted for less than 3% of the legal profession in the United States, and only one woman had ever served on a federal appellate court. Today, about half the nation's law students and more than one-third of our federal judges are women, including three of the justices seated on the United States Supreme Court bench. Women hold more than 30% of law school deanships in the United States and serve as general counsel to 24% of Fortune 500 companies. In my long life, I have seen great changes. How fortunate I was to be alive and a lawyer when, for the first time in United States history, it became possible to urge successfully before legislatures and courts the equal citizenship stature of women and men as a fundamental constitutional principle. Feminists, caring men among them, had sought just that for generations. Until the late 1960s, however, society was not prepared to heed their plea. What enabled me to take part in the effort to free our daughters and sons to achieve whatever their talents equipped them to accomplish with no artificial barriers blocking their way. First, a mother who by her example made reading a delight and counseled me constantly to be independent, able to fend for myself, whatever fortune might have in store for me. Second, teachers who influenced or encouraged me in my growing up years. At Cornell University, my professor of European literature, Vladimir Nabokov, changed the way I read and the way I write. Words could paint pictures I learned from him. Choosing the right word and the right word order, he illustrated could make an enormous difference in conveying an image or an idea. At Columbia Law School, my professor of constitutional law and federal courts, Gerald Gunther, was determined to place me in a federal court clerkship, despite what was then viewed as a grave impediment. On graduation, I was the mother of a four-year-old child. After heroic efforts, Professor Gunther succeeded in that mission. Another often asked question when I speak in public, do you have some good advice you might share with us? Yes, I do. It comes from my savvy mother-in-law, advice she gave me on my wedding day. In every good marriage, she counseled, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. I have followed that advice assiduously, and not only at home, through 56 years of a marital partnership non pariel, I have employed it so well in every workplace, including the Supreme Court. When a thoughtless or unkind word is spoken, best tune out. Reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. Advice from my father-in-law also served me well. He gave it during my gap years, 1954 to 56, when my husband Marty was fulfilling his obligation to the Army as an artillery office officer at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. By the end of 1954, my pregnancy was confirmed. We looked forward to becoming three in July 1955, but I worried about starting law school the next year with an infant to care for. Father's advice? Ruth, 
If you don't want to start law school, you have a good reason to resist the undertaking. No one will think the less of you if you make that choice. But if you really want to study law, you will stop worrying and find a way to manage child and school. And so Marty and I did by engaging a nanny on school days from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. Work-life balance was, not a was a term not yet coined in the years <clears throat> my children were young. It is aptly descriptive of the time distribution I experience. My success in law school, I have no doubt, was in large measure because of baby Jane. I attended classes and studied diligently until four in the afternoon. The next hours were Jane's time, spent at the park, playing silly games or singing funny songs, reading picture books and A.A. Milne poems, and bathing and feeding her. After Jane's bedtime, I returned to the law books with renewed will. Each part of my life provided respite from the other and gave me a sense of proportion that classmates trained only on law studies lacked. I have had more than a little bit of luck in life, but nothing equals in magnitude my marriage to Martin D. Ginsburg. I do not have words adequate to describe my super smart, exuberant, ever-loving spouse. Early on in our marriage, it became clear to him that cooking was not my strong suit. To the eternal appreciation of our food-loving children, food <coughs> we became four in 1965 when our son James was born, Marty made the kitchen his domain and became chief chef supreme in our home. Marty coached me through the birth of our son. He was the first reader and critic of articles, speeches, and briefs I drafted, and he was at my side constantly, in and out of the hospital, during two long bouts with cancer. And I betray no secret in reporting that without him, I would not have gained a seat on the Supreme Court. Ron Klein, then Associate White House Counsel, said of my 1993 nomination, I would say definitely, and for the record, though Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have been picked for the Supreme Court anyway, she would not have been picked for the Supreme Court if her husband had not done everything he did to make it happen. That everything included gaining the unqualified support of my home state Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan and enlisting the aid of many members of the legal academy and practicing bar familiar with the work I had done. I have several times said that the office I hold, now for more than 23 years, is the best and most consuming job a lawyer anywhere could have. The court's main trust is to repair fractures in federal law. Because the court grants review dominantly when other jurists have divided on the meaning of a statutory or constitutional prescription, the questions we take up are rarely easy. They seldom have indubitably right answers. Yet, by reasoning together at our conferences and with more depth and precision through circulation of and responses to draft opinions, we ultimately agree far more often than we divide sharply. When a justice is of the firm view that the minority got it wrong, the majority got it wrong, she is free to say so in dissent. I take advantage of that prerogative when I think it important, as do my colleagues. Despite our strong disagreements on cardinal issues, think, for example, 
of controls on political campaign spending, affirmative action, access to abortion. We genuinely respect each other, even enjoy one another's company. Collegiality is crucial to the success of our mission. We could not do the job we, the Constitution, assigns to us if we didn't. To use one of the just of Justice Antonin Scalia's favorite expressions, get over it. Earlier, I spoke of great changes I have seen in women's occupations. Yet one must acknowledge the still bleak part of the picture. Most people in poverty in the United States and the world over are women and children. Women's earnings here and abroad trail the earnings of men with compatible education and experience. Our workplaces do not adequately accommodate the demands of childbearing and child rearing. And we have not, and we have yet to devise effective ways to ward off sexual harassment at work and domestic violence in our homes. I am optimistic, however, that movement toward enlistment of the talent of all who compose We the People will continue.
Matasuta. Matasuta. This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise, but not puffed up. And let one not desire great possessions, even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean, or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born. May all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another. Even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child, so, with a boundless mind, should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So, let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world. Standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, free from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. spirit of loving-kindness abiding in all directions, affording protection to all beings, and in which you were immersed in this world, will now accompany you on your journey. May luminous wisdom lay your way, and may pure compassion enfold you in the great robe of liberation as you cross the boundless ocean of birth and death. We bid you farewell with heartfelt wishes for this most profound and mysterious passage. In Buddha's diamond realm, the sun of wisdom shines without ceasing. The sweet sound of Dharma soothes every troubled spirit, like a draft of cooling water. With full awareness, we have offered incense, observed silence, and chanted the Metta Sutta. May Buddha with infinite compassion illuminate this endless field. For our nation's great abiding friend and Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And for all those who have passed beyond this life into the heart of Buddha. May they together with all beings realize the end of suffering 
and the complete unfolding of Buddha's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dreaming. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Let us be respectfully reminded, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes by and with it our only chance. Each of us must strive to awaken. Be aware, do not squander our life. 